Hello and welcome to our latest DLA Piper Tech Law podcast series. My name is Gertrude Wamala Karugaba from the DLA Piper Africa office in Uganda, where I head the corporate practice. The corporate practice in Uganda oversees our work on technology and capital markets. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Goku Mani. Goku is the head of primary markets, Africa, Middle East, and India for the London Stock Exchange Group. Welcome, Goku. Thank you very much, Trudy. Delighted to be here. Yeah, and you know, we were supposed to meet in person in London today. I guess the backdrop of the Africa Tech Summit, which is being hosted at the London Stock Exchange. But unfortunately, COVID travel restrictions got in the way. But thankfully, we have technology and we will use technology to speak to each other and to interact uh, as best we can and hopefully meet in person in the future. So Goku, your role is interesting. One, you're in charge of primary markets, but two, you're in charge of varied geographies. You have Africa, you have Middle East, you have India. And um, I just want to start there uh, to say that over the last couple of years, we've seen quite a bit of interest from the London Stock Exchange Group in Africa and of course, technology underpinning a lot of that interest. Why is that the case? Tell us about your role and how your role fits into that strategy and that drive that we're seeing from the LSE. Sure, Trudy. Uh, and, you know, as I said, delighted to uh, to be here. I think, um, you know, next time around, would like to uh, do this in person for sure. Travel restrictions this time uh, prevented that from happening. Just before I can answer your Africa-focused LSAC question, a little bit of background. Yes, you're right. I, I'm responsible for Africa, Middle East, and India for, for London Stock Exchange. I've been doing that for a bit over four years. And prior to that, I spent 16 years with Bank of America Merrill Lynch in, uh, in London and then Dubai. I think Africa, Middle East, and India have very different capital market themes different levels of maturity from a capital markets and investor perspective, and also varied levels of progression on where technology and capital has got to in those regions. What do we uh, seek to achieve in an Africa context at LSEG? Ultimately, it's to do two broad uh, pieces of activity. One is to partner with African nations and develop their capital markets. And we do that, whether through our capital markets business, our FTSE indices and benchmarks business, our data and analytics business, and our post-trade business. So one is as a market infrastructure group to play a greater role in the development of capital markets in Africa. And then more specifically within the capital markets unit, it's to position London Stock Exchange as a listing venue for issuers out of Africa whether they wish to list their equity, their bonds or fixed income instruments or funds. So that's great. It's great to hear about your role. And I think we'll come back later to two important points. One, why London um, is an attractive destination for listing. But two, um, to hear more about how ELSAG is supporting capital markets development um, on the continent. But of course, we're in a global context. And in 2021, we've seen a rebound of the capital markets. So if you can just tell us about that global picture and how that global sure. picture is translating for Africa. 
Yes, absolutely, Trudy. Uh, I'd be delighted to. So I think uh, you're absolutely right. While 2021 has been a blockbuster year for IPOs, and we'll go into the details around that, 2020 was still a large uh, and meaningful year from an equity issuance perspective. However, on a global basis, that was less so in IPOs and more so around follow-on offerings. So because of the pandemic, companies on a global basis needed to shore up balance sheets, needed capital from a working capital, liquidity, and rescue perspective. The equity capital markets did step in and, and fund that. IPOs were significantly reduced in the year 2020. 2021 has been, um, as I said, a, a stellar year at London Stock Exchange. It's been our best year over the last seven years since 2014. On a global basis as well, you will find that the 2021 year has been as strong as a 2014 or then a 2007 year. Now, what does that mean on a global basis? So, and the year is not yet over, up until the end of November, on a global basis, uh, there were 2,700 firms that went, went public raising nearly uh, 600 billion US dollars. The largest nations that contributed to this were of course US and China, given the size of their domestic GDPs. At London Stock Exchange, we had our best year since 2014. At the moment, we've had 111 IPOs, raising nearly $23 billion in IPO proceeds. Technology was actually the single largest sector year to date. We have 34 IPOs in the technology space that raised $9.1 billion and had an aggregate market cap of nearly $47 billion. This was the year for IPOs and within that uh, for high growth technology names uh, on a global basis. On an Africa note, I think what we find in Africa is that African tech today, yes, in some of the more established subsectors of tech, like fintech, or, you know, we're going to have to go into the world of telecoms as a tech-enabled sector. We do see kind of large moves in fintech and telecom infrastructure that have actually come to the capital markets over 2019 to 21. But for the most part, it's indeed been more of a VC, more of a private M&A, you know, regime to date. That's kind of what we would expect in any new sector to the capital markets. There is a funding continuum and private capital and VC and PE and M&A does happen quite often before companies are ready to go public. So just picking up on that, actually, um, that was going to be my next question is when you have uh, mind blowing numbers um, in terms of what you've seen in, in number of actual transactions and amounts raised, and yet you see on the continent, we're still very much private sector focused, private equity, VCs, uh, like you've mentioned. So within that context, how do we tell the story of how African tech can take advantage of some of those benefits of listing? And, and here we can even talk about whether it's domestic listings or um, international listings. How do we shift that balance, that contribution of private mm -hmm. equity? or VCs or some other uh, forms of funding to African tech seeing listings as 
a more attractive funding option? Thank you for that question, Trudy. Um, I think if we just talk a little bit around uh, what have some of those large, uh, large cap or technology listings been from Africa, and then move into the VCPE question. Broadly speaking, over the last uh, two years or two and a bit years, we've seen four large technology offerings from, from the continent. Um, three purely from the continent, and then one is kind of from the broader region. Uh, I think those being uh, Jumia from Nigeria, eFinance and Fori out of Egypt, and then Network International, which originally would have been classified more like a Middle East play, but pursuant to their acquisition of DPO in South Africa, we can call it from the broader region. So you've got these you know, four um, large IPOs, three of which are actually kind of in that payments and fintech space. One, as in Jumia, is in the kind of consumer internet um, e-commerce space. I think in any market that first uh, starts to see tech really developing, and here we can look at kind of the India model, uh, for for a very long period of time, a market like India, for example, had only private capital and private VC and PE and M&A developed that sector. Now, I don't think in Africa, it's going to take as long as it took for India to move from private capital and VC into the public markets. But there is a period of time where these companies actually benefit from private investors that can help them grow in a certain differentiated, more hands-on way than a public uh, IPO would, would allow them to. I think the time for an IPO or an equity listing, particularly on an international market, is when the company feels that IPO will help it further grow, potentially expand geographically into an into a new market or in, into international markets. And of course, at the at the underlying need for their IPO should either be um, you know access to further growth capital, primary capital, or a shareholder's exit. So I think it's completely normal and expected that for the foreseeable, we're going to see more private than public. But going forward, we should we you know the market will continue to see some of those large cap IPOs come um, come to international venues as well as domestically, and then as time goes on, we'll also get some of those mid cap tech IPOs like we do out of more developed markets like in uh, Western Europe, UK, and the US. So um, essentially, we're on a curve, on a growth curve. Our time, uh, you know, as African tech will come, but I think the context in which we are operating is requiring that private equity is more more appealing. Um, And I suppose we'll come back again. You talked about the role that LSAG is playing in developing capital markets, uh, that some of this work needs to come and start. And so that uh, when absolutely ready for, for listing, um, you know, they're able to take up the opportunities. But now I want to come back to, to you and to London and sort of put you on the spot a little bit. Uh, the big uh, IPOs we've seen um, out of the continent. So if you look at Jumia, you touched on Jumia. We have uh, IHS. They've chosen New York, which even when you look at proximity from an Africa perspective, from a historical context, uh, London should be the more appealing uh, market. We're more familiar with London um, than the US. Maybe you need to tell us a bit more about what London has to offer. Um, 
vis-a-vis -vis New York, articulate that, that um, you know, use case for an Africa tech looking for destination for listing? Sure, Trudy. Um, I think in the technology space and also particularly in Africa tech, I think the US will always be part of the mix. African tech companies, I think, will always look at London and the US exchanges side by side. Now, a lot has happened in London over the last two years in both in technology as well as our own UK listing regime that will make us more um, suitable for technology companies more broadly. Uh, what has that been? One is we've just had a lot of tech IPOs in London over the last two years. As, as I noted, there were 34 IPOs raising nearly $10 billion just this year. Um, so I think our stature in tech in London has measurably um, grown. Hand in hand with that, there, have, there has been a, a very large UK listing regime review process over the course of 2021. And just uh, uh, last week, it was announced uh, that the minimum free float requirement for premium listed companies on LSE would now no longer be 25%, but that has been amended down to 10%. Further, um, we will also permit companies on the premium segment to issue in dual class share format. These two particular changes particularly appeal to technology companies because one consideration or concern technology entrepreneurs would come to us with would be A, we don't, we don't wish to have a 25% minimum free float and the dilution impact of that on IPO. We wish to have a smaller number than, than that like we see in the US. And number two is um, you know, US as well as other markets or technology companies um, allow um, dual class share structures. So we have adapted that to provide a, a level playing field between us and the US. So those are two very meaningful changes. There is also a there are also other changes that have happened recently in the in the past weeks around a new SPAC regime on our market. And I think moving into next year, we will see other changes to our listing regime. Which, which are to come involving our standard segment. But coming back to Jumia and IHS, there were very specific and particular reasons why those companies chose the US. I would say at the time that Jumia went public, it, uh, it was very well received in the US. It's had quite a roller coaster ride since then. Today, Jumia's market cap or IPO share price is about the same as it was when it went public. Um, but at moments in time over the last two years, it was up to four times um, the market cap at listing. So it's 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 had a volatile journey. Uh, IHS, on the other hand, uh, you know, chose the U.S. for 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 different reasons, but it's down nearly thirty six percent on IPO price. I think with the London offering or with London, I think there is a better understanding of Africa. We have 127 companies from Africa already listed on LSE. We have 95 bonds from 28 different countries already listed on our markets. Just the familiarity of African stories, African demographic, the African consumer and African businesses is far, far greater in London than it is in the US. And I would just say that we probably are a destination that would, would probably not have as much volatility 
in share price performance post IPO. If we just look at uh, you know aftermarket IPO performance across all IPOs in 2021, and so this is not technology specific, but all IPOs on an average basis this year are up about 25% on LSC from their IPO price. But on the US exchanges, NYSE and NASDAQ, um, they're up about 4 to 6%. Uh, so that just shows you, you know, and within that, you're going to have companies that are up uh, a lot more in the U.S. than London, but at least we don't have that level of volatility. And I think that volatility has come out to bear in certain geographies where the U.S. is perhaps a bit more unfamiliar. To our listeners, thank you for joining us for part one of our Tech Law podcast series on Africa's capital market landscape for African tech. Please look out for part two of this episode in which Gokul and I turn our attention to the development of capital markets on the continent, including localization initiatives, regulation, and the important role of investor relations.